This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's show is being recorded live in Bendigo in partnership with Reforming Church. Today's big question, does Christianity bring freedom? We ask this question today to Amy Grinter. Amy grew up in Perth, but now lives in Bendigo with her husband, Russ, who is the pastor of Reforming Church here in Bendigo. Amy trained as a nurse and worked in recovery, but is now a Bible teacher and chaplain at La Trobe University, and she joins me now. Please welcome Amy Grinter. Well, Amy, that's that's some welcome. I'm feeling the love tonight. (laughs) That's terrific. Now, welcome to Bigger Questions. Now, Amy, you worked as a nurse in recovery, so what does that mean? Recovery is, it's where you go immediately after you've had an operation. It's the place where you go to wake up and to stabilise before we send them back to the wards. Okay, what's, what's that like? Well, actually, it's quite a rewarding place to work. I think there's quite a privilege of being able to care for someone when they wake up from what most people find is a scary experience. Yeah. And I like how I can be there to comfort and support people. Um, it's also got a bit of a funny side to it because uh, as people are waking up from that anaesthetic, and some of you might have seen in the videos, people do some pretty funny things. So what have they done? Well, I looked after one guy, actually. He was this big cage fighter, huge guy, hardly even fitted on the bed. But I said my usual thing. I tried to keep calm. Mr. Scott, you're waking up from your operation. It's all finished. You're in recovery. My job's to make you feel comfortable. How are you feeling? And he says, oh, I'm pretty sore. Falls back asleep, wakes up. What are you talking about? Pays my friend. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> now, do you ever take videos of them to show what they actually did the first time? <laughs> I think that would be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Probably will be. Okay, anyway, to kick off bigger questions, we do like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Okay. Today we're asking Amy Grinter if Christianity brings freedom. So Amy, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about freedom in popular culture. Now, do you feel qualified at all? Uh, No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all? Okay. Well, we'll see how we go. We try to do the best we can with our guests to help them pass. Anyway, there's two questions, both multiple choice. Question one, according to the online entertainment network The Blaze, what is the top pro-freedom film of all time? Was it A, The Shawshank Redemption, B, Braveheart, C, The Castle, or D, Free Willy? Well, I can hear people whispering Free Willy, so I wouldn't go with that one if I were you. (laughs) Okay, um, so I won't phone a friend then. Um, I'll go for Braveheart. And you have got the right answer. Well done. Let's give it an applause. That's right. That was hard. I would have picked Shawshank Redemption myself. Do you have a favourite pro-freedom film? Uh, Free (laughs) Willy? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think anyone ever put Free Willy as the greatest film of any genre, actually. Anyway, question two. The Rolling Stones sang a famous song, I'm Free. What were the lyrics to the chorus? Was it A, I'm free to do what I want and have a good time? Was it B, I'm free to do what I want any old time? Was it C, I'm free to cook my roast and garnish it with time? Or is it D, I'm free to serve other people all the time? So which of those was the lyrics to the Rolling Stones' famous I'm Free? I'm free to do what I want any old time. So that is... Uh, B, please. Correct. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you know about freedom, Amy, because you got two of our smaller questions right. Uh, woohoo! <laughs> please give Amy a big hand. <laughs> 
Okay. Now, Amy, we're talking today about freedom. And at one point in your life, you wanted freedom, maybe to do whatever you wanted at any old time. Maybe you can tell us your story. Perhaps tell us about your life growing up. Okay. Yeah, start your story there. I grew up in sunny Perth, family of four. Mum, dad, my little brother, a pretty normal family, uh, not a churchy family. So you didn't go to church as a kid? No. no. By the time I was uh, six, my parents separated and divorced, as is, you know, for a lot of Australian families these days. Okay. I lived with mum uh, for one week and then I alternated with dads at the other week. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like, yeah, alternating between two worlds. Now, was that a difficult experience for you? Oh, I think, yeah, as a kid I, I did find it hard. It's kind of like you've got, you know, you've got two worlds. You've got two bedrooms, two sets of clothes, you've got two sides of your family. It's, it's, I guess it's quite an unstable life really. So what else happened at that time? Dad married an emergency nurse, a Christian woman, a lovely woman, and mum remarried a truckie who was a really lovely guy to start off with. Mm -hmm. But I guess as as time went on, um, it became apparent that he was an abusive man, an alcoholic, and um, life got a bit harder, especially for the week that I was at Mm mum's. Um, mum, you know, would go from living with him one week to not living with him. And like, I remember one day being picked up from school and I had a different home to go to. She had moved house while I was at school. Wow. Wow. That's obviously very destabilizing. Mm. So what else happened in that relationship? Well, as I got older and I think perhaps, you know, more assertive, my, my interactions with my stepdad got more and more you know, aggressive and abusive and I, I was finding it really hard even just to go to mum's. And I was, I was scared too. I was, you know, thinking I can't, I can't do this anymore. So I, I approached mum about it and I said, I don't, I don't feel like I can come here anymore. Um, and she says, well, I'm, I'm not prepared to let you go. Um, and I can kind of understand that. Um, she wasn't prepared to change the custody arrangements, so I had to go to the children's court. So how old were you at the time? I was 13 when this process started. Goodness, goodness, that's not very old. Yeah, and you've got to, you've got to make a really a strong case for yourself. You've got to you know, almost prove that things aren't safe enough. You're know, having to go to counselling sessions and seeing lawyers, and it, it's quite traumatic. You know, I think... Um, what made it extra hard as well for me was that um, a lot of the family didn't support me. Mm-hmm. Well, my dad and my stepmom obviously did, and their side of the family were, you know, they were generally quite supportive. But mum's side of the family, um, they just didn't understand, and they would say, say things to me like, "I'm abandoning my mum," or "I'm failing as a daughter." Um, that I was just being manipulative or attention-seeking. Um, you know, when actual fact, I was just trying to protect myself from being in an abusive situation. It's a pretty difficult position to be in. Yeah. And so how did you deal with that situation? Well, I don't think I really dealt with it. I think in many ways I just felt like a failure um, for not wanting to go. Yeah. Um, I felt like I wasn't good enough as a daughter. And, um, you know, I even got, I got letters from family members saying, um, you know, how dare I do what I was doing, that I should be ashamed of myself. And I was, it's just terrible, isn't it? And I was just a, tri- a child trying to be safe. To protect yourself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so how else was your life then as a teenager growing up? At 13, you had to approach the family court. And then what else happened? Well, I figured that once I was kind of free from being in an abusive situation, that life would get so much better. Yeah. Um, 
But I think you get quite traumatised from experiencing these things as a child. And, and since then, I've, I've done a fair bit of reading, actually, about the effects of divorce on children. And one of the things which I can see really clearly now, which I didn't see then, is that children, especially those who are going from one house to another, start to kind of form these masks. So even though once all the court stuff had gone through, I was only living in one house, I still, in a way, existed as two different people. On one hand, I felt like, you know, Amy, the straight-A student, teacher's pet, you know, I won lots of awards. What, what sort of awards did you win? Oh, I won, um, you know, citizenship awards, wow. um, Rotary Awards. I even won the uh, Western Australian Positive Image Ambassador Award. <laughs> wow, that's that's very impressive. Um, well done, well done. Well, I think, I actually think it's a bit ironic because, um, you know, it was just an image because on the other side, there was a really hurting Amy, a self-destructive, rebellious, Amy. By the time I was 14, I was binge drinking, like even at school. Um, my friends didn't know. What, in the classroom? Yeah, yeah. You know, just a metal drink bottle. Um, a, a metal drink bottle. Okay, that's not a tip, by the way. Just in no, case no, you're, no. you're thinking that this is advice on how to smuggle alcohol into schools. No, it wasn't like I was sitting in the back of class with a bottle of wine. No, it um, wasn't. Anyway, we do not endorse <laughs> that behaviour. Absolutely not. No, anyway. this is unhealthy, self-destructive behaviour. But even at 14, you know, I was already starting some really unhealthy patterns. And I started in a sexual relationship. I was just desperate for someone to be pleased with me because I didn't feel pleased with myself. And so I guess the instability continued. Even though I was living in one house, I was still these two broken people. Mm. And then you finished high school, went to uni, and what was life like there? Life was really fun at uni. Um, I think something that's fun for a lot of students is you get to kind of reinvent yourself when you go to uni. Yeah. Um, you get to you know, pretend like you're whoever you want to be. And, um, you know, I'm quite a master of masks. Um, you can tell from my childhood. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted life to be fun and free and do whatever I want at uni. And that's what you did? Yeah. I mean, like, I still studied hard. Um, you know, I still had to keep up with my good marks. Yeah. Um, but I partied hard too. Um, you know, Friday nights, I remember, you know, I'd always have my labs on the Friday nights where I'd work with, you know, cadavers, dead bodies. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'd go in, I'd have my nightclub clothes underneath my, um, my jacket and, you know, my high heels in my handbag. And after I've done my work, Eight o'clock, time to knock off, take off the jacket and head out partying. Right. That's what uni life was like for me. And you didn't take the lab coat to the party? <laughs> no, probably smelled of formaldehyde. Fair enough. Now, the rapper Pitbull in the song Freedom, which was the first answer to that quiz, he says in the song Freedom, feel free, do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want, feel free. Who cares what they say? Just live your life because we don't live twice. Was that you? Yeah, absolutely. It sounds appealing. It does. Did you did you enjoy it? Oh, for some parts, yeah. What was what was so good about it? You know, when you get to uni, you kind of feel like, you know, I'm not a child anymore. Yeah. I can make my own decisions in my own time and do what I like. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, for a lot of uni students, it, that can feel quite liberating. Mm -hmm. um, don't have to ask mum and dad for permission to go places and get approval. You can, you know, do what you want. Yeah. So, did you feel free? No, not really. I think we think we're free when we've got nothing that confines us, but I actually think freedom is something that happens on the inside. Um, freedom is, I guess, a sense that I, like, I am who I am and I'm free to be who I want to be and I don't have to pretend. I can do whatever I want, whatever I want, with whoever I want, 
that's actually just pretend. Um, it can only go on for so long because, I mean, the reality of your choices and your consequences come to bear, don't they? Yeah, well, we'll get to that in a second. But then there was a turning point in your life. You had a one particularly big night at uni. Yeah. Yep. Can you tell us what happened? Well, it was um, October best, 2005. I was pumped and I thought, you know, beer and sausages, this is my kind of party. I had a really cute short haircut. I was blonde. I was ready for a good night. Um, And it was really fun to start off with. Um, I guess as the night progressed, things turned from um, fun to perhaps less fun and less in control. Yeah. Um, As the night progressed... I started to, I think I remember less and less of the night, actually. Uh, It's like I've only got these little five-second videos of what happened. Yeah. Um, I could, what I remember was not what I was planning for for the night. So what do you remember? Things like, um, I remember being dragged off the table, um, from the top of the table by a security guard, and and it was humiliating. Um, Then I remember another moment, there was like a, a group of guys, and... They were playing some kind of game, which essentially was spin Amy around and wherever she lands, you get her. And I was just handed around like a piece of meat and I just, I had no control over it. And one of the last things I remember of the night was um, I was walking out of the bar and I looked down and I noticed that my top had fallen down and I didn't even know how long it had been down for. And I remember pulling it up. It was terrible. I mean, I don't even know how I got home that night. Um, It wasn't what I had planned. You know, I was going to have a fun night. It was going to be grand, you know, free to do whatever I want, let my hair down. Well, I didn't have much hair then, but anyhow. Um, But, you know, it ended up being something that I was really ashamed about. because I had lost control. Yeah. So the next morning, you woke up, you looked in the mirror. What did you see? Mm, not the person I thought I would ever be. Yeah. I think that lifestyle is actually not satisfying. You know, we tell ourselves this lie that being free is doing whatever we want. But actually, sometimes not doing things brings freedom. Um, and at first, I thought, you know, maybe maybe nobody would remember. Maybe it won't be that bad yeah Uh, but it wasn't really until I'd got to uni the next day that I realized that everybody remembered and everybody knew and how did that make you feel oh like rubbish you know I think it's kind of it's easier to kind of move on and forgive yourself if nobody knows it happens but you know if everyone knows and it's a big uni it's heaps bigger than Bendigo um you know I was walking through uni and people were looking and people were pointing you know and I walked into my lecture and there were people shaking their heads and I just Oh, I felt really ashamed. Yeah. Yeah. So why couldn't you just accept that you did something wrong, let it go and just move on? Part of it was that everybody knew. Um, well, most of my friends knew. Um, you know, there's a reputation that comes along. The story doesn't just finish there. Um, I couldn't just forget. You know, things would trigger my memory. So I'd be walking through uni and I'd pass the uni bar and it would come flooding back. And I'd feel that shame again. Or I'd bump into someone or, um, you know, I just, I, I kept remembering snippets from the night. And, um, yeah, you, I, I couldn't escape the story. Yeah. So what did you do? Well, I figured I've got to get back to that straight A, Amy. You know, trying to get my life back together. I thought the only way I'm going to be good and actually stay good yeah. um, is if I go to church. 
I thought, you know, I'd, I'd go check out church. They'll tell me 10 steps on how to be a better person. And I'll learn not to drink, not to swear, and not to sleep around. And, you know, I'll learn to finally be a good person and then I'll feel better. But, but why church? Wouldn't that make it worse? I mean, <laughs> people think that the Bible imposes artificial limitations, restricts our choices and enhances guilt rather than bringing a solution. Well, I thought the solution was I just had to be a better person. Yeah. You know, and I had Christian friends growing up and they weren't making the same stupid mistakes that I did. You know, they weren't waking up in the morning, you know, thinking, you know, what did I do and who did I do it with? They seemed to be happy with their lives and I wanted that. Mm. So you went along to church and what happened? It wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting 10 steps to how to clean up your life, um, you know, how to be a perfect person. But that wasn't the message that I heard at all. No. I mean, no, I remember sitting there, I sat, I sat right at the back, and I was sitting there and I was listening to the preacher and it felt like there was no one else in the room. I felt like he was just talking to me. It was amazing, really. He said, you have no need to feel ashamed anymore because Jesus has taken your guilt away. He has taken it upon himself. He became guilty so that you can be set free. And I was like, no way. Did he know what I was feeling, like a mind reader or something? But yeah, I heard this message that there is a way of finding freedom from guilt and freedom from shame. And it's actually not just clean up your life. Try to to be a better person. Exactly, be a better person. Work harder. Yeah, that's what I thought Christians were on about, you know. Um, Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Rules and imposing rules and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But this was very different. Yeah, this was amazing. Uh, I felt like I walked into that church with a big fat guilty sign written across my head and I walked out feeling like a great weight had been lifted, just thinking, oh, I don't have to be ashamed for the rest of my life. I can have a fresh start. And it just changed everything. Wow. We're asking Amy Grinter today's big question, does Christianity bring freedom? And perhaps surprisingly, the Bible answers this question. The New Testament book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul, who was a leader of the early church, says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now this was that message that you heard that day when you went into that church. How do you resonate with the idea of no condemnation with those who are in Christ Jesus? I think it's just amazing. You know, it resonates with me because I so feared that, you know, I just keep making the same mistakes. Um, but knowing that Christ, um, you know, to have a relationship with Him means that there's no condemnation is just amazing. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be good enough for Him to love you, and and that's different than anything I've ever heard. You know, I no longer have to strive to be good enough for someone to love me. No, no matter what you've done. Exactly, no matter what I've done and no matter what, in a way, I will continue to do. And that's a real freedom. It's not like, you know, come, clean up your life, then you have to be perfect, otherwise you lose that love. No, it's it's unconditional. You know, I still make mistakes. I still make big mistakes. But, you know, I know that the love of Christ is not based on how good I am. And that's incredible. Mm. Now, Paul goes on in verse 2 of Romans to explain the reason why there is no condemnation. He says it's through Christ Jesus. You set us free from the law of sin and death. Now, the Bible uses the word here, sin. It's kind of a bit of a religious word, but how do you understand it? Well, it's funny um, because I've actually been talking to my son about this. He's three. He's actually pretty amazing, gorgeous kid. Um, So I said, Noxie, because that's his name, Nox. um, Noxie, what is sin? And he stood up, we're at the kitchen table. He stood up, he says, Mummy, sin is a sickness in my heart I'm stuck with, and it makes me do this. And he turned around and punches out what my one year old. (laughs) 
wow. I didn't know whether to like applause him or discipline him. It was pretty funny. <laughs> just send him to the room to read the Bible or something. Uh, well, I think the Bible's already working in him. But um, <laughs> uh, what I liked about his answer, I mean, not that he hit his brother, that wasn't good at all, but, you know, he recognises that sin is not just the naughty things I do, it's actually the brokenness in me that I would do that in the first place. Mm-hmm, yeah. Rather than choosing what is right and good, we choose the opposite. It's this kind of rebellious attitude towards God. And, you know, as my son's understanding, it results in the, us not loving him and not loving each other. So do you think this brokenness inside was how you felt when you went into that church that day? It characterised your life? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Feeling this, you know, this cycle of rebelliousness and shame and the slavery that comes with it. It's like a a sick cycle that I couldn't get out of. Mm. Paul says God could bring freedom from sin and death by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Now, essentially, this is the message that you heard that day from that preacher when he was communicating. You found that liberating, that good news? The best news, um, because I've tried other things, you know, I tried escaping or just ignoring the feelings I had or, you know, trying to be as good as I could, but nothing remedied the brokenness that I felt and the guilt and the shame that I felt. So this was the only thing that really worked? Yeah. In terms of your guilt and shame? Yeah, because it wasn't based on me. And I think that's the difference. It was based on what someone else has done for me. Now, Jesus himself makes a similar statement in the Gospel of John, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life we have, when he says in John 8, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So did it surprise you that a key element of the Christian message was freedom? It did, actually, because I thought it was all about being a good person and, you know, getting right with God by following the Ten Commandments, you know, paying your taxes. Following the rules. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. That's what I thought it was all about. So it was a surprise that it was actually liberating. Yeah. And it solved your problem. Mm-hmm. What happened next in your life? Well, I guess when you start a new relationship, you want to get to know them. So I was hungry to get to know more of God. Um, so I read the first five books of the Bible. It was actually um, it was a bit harder than I thought it was going to be. Right. A lot of names I couldn't even read. Yeah. Um, and I decided to start to meet up with another woman in the church. And she said to me, have you, have you seen the New Testament? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll give it a go. Uh, and it was significantly easier to read. Yeah. But I just plowed through it. I couldn't put it down because it was relief for my soul. So what was so good about it? It was it was just the best news, um, you know, that God would love me so much, that he would make a way for me to have a relationship with him. And the more I got to know Jesus, the more, well, the more I could help, couldn't help falling in love with this person, you know, who is God in the flesh, but who was compassionate and worked mighty miracles. It was just an exhilarating story to read. Then came a time for a uni break and you had a party planned. <laughs> Yep. What happened? Cancelled the whole thing. Why did you cancel the party? I mean, you're the party girl. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd, and I'd been planning it for a long time. My parents are going into going um, interstate. Yeah. And I thought, woohoo, this is going to be awesome. But you know what? Um, you know, reading the Bible, I know it sounds lame, but I just could see it was so much more satisfying. You know, and hearing that story brought me so much more joy. It wasn't even worth comparing to what I thought the party would be. So you cancelled the party? Yep, cancelled it. Um, did, did, uh, what did you do? Um, I sat on the couch and I read the whole New Testament cover to cover uh, and it started for me an absolute love affair with the Word of God. Wow. So what happened next in your life? 
it's amazing what God did actually. So I became a Christian, then my dad became a Christian, my brother became a Christian, and my uncle, he also came to visit us and he became a Christian. It was like a little revival in our family. Oh, wow. Um, because, you know, we all heard and we all got to see this good news and couldn't help but share it with others. Mm. Um, my uncle, he had gone through a really hard time, actually. His wife had left him, four children under the age of eight. Um, you know, he needed to hear that good news. My brother, he needed it. My dad needed it. Um, yeah. Yeah, good. Now, the book of Romans goes on. In Romans 8, 4, Paul says that after Jesus' death condemns sin, the requirements of the law are complete and our lives will be changed so that we no longer live to satisfy our sinful passions, but according to the Spirit, which is a very different lifestyle. So, Amy, was this true in your life? Did your life change after you accepted Jesus? My life is so different. You know, I'm, I'm free from shame. I'm free from guilt. You know, I'm not free from making mistakes. Yeah. You know, you know, other things, I think you know, I'm free to forgive my family. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big one for me. You know, bitterness can really ruin your life. It's the poison that we drink hoping someone else will die. And I think, you know, coming to Jesus and knowing that I've been forgiven means that I can actually forgive others. Um, and that is quite liberating, um, you know, to forgive my stepdad, to forgive my mum. You could forgive your family? Absolutely. You know, I think when you hear the gospel that you are loved without deserving it, you can't then go and hold a grudge. You can't hold the gospel and a grudge at the same time because you've been forgiven um, and so you can't help but forgive. Your relationship with your stepdad is now improved? Well, I'm in contact with him again. Um, he's perhaps not as keen as keeping the relationship up with me, but um, I've at least been able to you know, let him share my life with him. Your life has obviously changed quite massively. Mm. In some ways, it almost seems a bit too good to be true. I guess that's the gospel. You know, it does in a way sound too good to be true, but actually I think it's too good to not be true. It's the best news that you could ever hear. Mm. So has it surprised you how great the impact this message has been on your life? Yes, absolutely. You know, so 10 years ago, if you were to tell me that I'd be a Presbyterian minister's wife, I would have <laughs> laughed at you. Or if you told me that I would, you know, give up my nursing career to teach Bible to the uni students, I'd say, well, no way. But, um, yeah, the gospel changes you. It changes what's important in your life. It changes what you spend your money on, your time, your heart, your tears. It, it changes everything. It turns your world upside down. Now, it took you to feel rock bottom and nowhere to turn before you turned to the church and to the Bible. Do you think you would have gone to the church if you hadn't felt such despair? No, I don't think so. You know, if I felt like everything was going okay and I was enjoying my life, you know, why would I go to church? It's just more rules. You know, why would I go somewhere where I'd feel less free? Yeah. Um, you know, why would I impose those rules on myself when I was enjoying life just as it is? Thank you very much. Yeah, so now you're on the other side, so to speak. Mm. Do you think it's worth investigating Jesus even if you think that your life is going okay? Oh, absolutely. No, I think we make a lot of assumptions of who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, and actually, I think you owe it to yourself to check it out for yourself. Now, I was studying a science degree when I became a Christian, and I'm a firm believer that we're not just to leave our brains at the door. If something is true, it's going to hold up. It's going to hold up to our investigation in terms of things like historical facts and reading the text and wrestling with it. And I think because it's true, it's durable enough for you to throw everything at it. And you found it withstood the test? Absolutely. Hmm. Well, thank you very much for sharing your story tonight, Amy. It's been wonderful to hear, obviously, some very difficult things from your past, but there's also been some good news along the way. So, Amy, does Christianity bring freedom? It does. 
Christianity brings freedom that's it's different from the world's definition of freedom. The world's definition of freedom is do whatever you want, with whoever you want, whenever you want. The Christian freedom is freedom to be yourself and to be loved no matter what happens. And it's been good news for you? Absolutely. Let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, does Christianity bring freedom? Romans 8.1 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus' words in John 8.36 If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Amy Grinter. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.